Welcome to Sparks, a podcast from Ignium, designed to help you reignite your passion and drive your business forwards. In this podcast, Phil Rose talks to Mark Harris, the enterprise doctor. Mark delivers advice and support for small businesses. The subject of the podcast was growing a business so it is not purely dependent on the owner or founder. As usual, we talked about a lot of issues focused on helping business owners step back and step up if they choose to. Choosing how you want your business to be is key. Many business owners simply carry on regardless and forget that they have a choice. They could stay small or they could choose to grow. That's the subject of this conversation between me and Mark. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to the Ignium Sparks podcast. Today I'm joined by Mark Harris. Mark is the enterprise doctor. Mark delivers expert advice and support for small businesses, but he's got a portfolio career. And there's two main strands right now being Laptop Mondays, which he runs and has a number of groups working on. And he also runs his own podcast, the Business Enterprise Doctor Podcast, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through. So welcome, Mark. Uh, I've just introduced you. That's what you told me to say. I wonder how would you add more to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, thank you very much for having me. As you said, I do my own business podcast and I'm normally the interviewer. It's really quite strange and nice for me to be the interviewee this time. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Um, yeah, my main thing is enterprise doctor advice and support for businesses, primarily solopreneurs, lots of small growing businesses. I help them along that journey as a big chunk of my marketing is my business podcast and uh, Laptop Mondays is sort of a separate thing. It's a co-working group, which pre-virus was face-to-face and was very much co-working. Given the lovely virus, he said with a touch of irony, his voice is not lovely at all. Uh, it's it's mood online and it's very hard to do true co-working online. So it is more networking than it was before but it's still chugging on nicely. And here we are, early September. I'm sort of hopeful of getting back out there and doing some face-to-face ones soon. Lovely. And I, and I love that. You know, there's, a, there's a big thing around networking, which we might talk about later in terms of, you know, how do you market your business? But that's maybe a subject for a different, different call. Um, when, when we talked originally, we said that the, the topic of this conversation between us was very much around growing a business so it's not purely dependent on the owner. And I use that word purely. Um, because some people I know make a choice that that's what they want to do. They want to be a one one person business, a one man, one man, one woman show, and that's okay. But it's a choice. So I wonder in this conversation, I'd love to touch base with you around some of the people you talk to and your views on growing a business. I have my views on where business comes from. Obviously, in the the business model I use, I look at how do you grow the value of a business, and, and my model is based on. Uh, effectively a pyramid and at the base of that pyramid is building the right talent the right capability and the right culture so that the owner can sometimes step back from the business so it creates more value because they've got a team doing it but i wonder in your experience and maybe we touch on this for the short term and then look at longer term what's what's the biggest issue that people are facing at the moment in building their businesses do you believe Okay, right now, the biggest issue for businesses, large and small, in my opinion, is that people are, broadly speaking, not spending money like they used to. And that goes for consumers, it goes for businesses. 
I say broadly speaking, because people are, they're buying things, they're spending money, they're investing in their personal lives, they're investing in their businesses as well, but not remotely to the extent that they were. And I think that there's a lot of businesses out there who have money, yep. but they don't know how long it's got to last and they can spend it and they can spend it how they like, but the deal is you can only spend it once. So if they invest in your services or mine or get a corporate video done or whatever it is that they're going to invest that money in to grow their business, to move closer to whatever their objectives are, they can only spend it once. And if you have a steady income of X pounds a month, a steady revenue, a steady profit, then whatever X is, whether it's a thousand pounds a month or 10,000 or a hundred thousand a month is steady. So, you know, if you're getting 10 grand a month profit, you know, you can spend six of it and the other four is for you. Mm. If that 10,000 a month went to 2000 and then to five and then back to three and then up to 10, you have no idea. And next month could be nothing. Next month is October for us as we're recording this. And that's when furlough ends. And that's when I think that there's lots of zombie businesses out there that are finally going to, with immense regret, I say this, I don't want to sound callous or just like this is not an issue. It's a massive issue for everybody, not just the people it's happening to. Lots of those businesses are going to go bust, go into liquidation. Lots of them are going to survive by making lots of other people redundant. And I think as a generality, the economy is going to take a quite hunky dip and that means, because I actually sort of almost am answering your question eventually, it, what that means is that there's going to be less revenue for all those businesses. Yep. So that's that's really the biggest challenge. How you get around that, people are still spending money now. People will still spend money then. Yep. And your job as a business is to make sure they spend it on you. Clearly, if you sell cups and saucers and everybody's buying teapots well you're not going to sell many cups and saucers but if they are buying cups and saucers it's got to be your cup and saucer that they buy and what people need to be doing now and i do like to practice what i preach i've been doing this since march and i'm still doing it marketing 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 get out there get people knowing you knowing what you do knowing what your values are and absolutely top of the list is knowing what is the benefit to their business of engaging with you and if you get that message out there lots of time it will fall on deaf ears because not everybody is is in buying mode or even your likely customer you know with broadcasty type stuff if you send a tweet out your mum's reading it as well as your prospect so but if you get that message out there enough some of that mud will stick and especially the 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 better you focus it the the more likely it is to stick and I think that's it's interesting because when I when I look at growing a business, I, I use this word, you know, this analogy of a pyramid. And I always talk about the foundation being this talent, capability, and culture. The next layer up is about systemizing the business. So you've got processes and procedures. Then comes new products and then comes channels to market. And, and I do it in that order because you've got to work out what the product is that the market needs. And actually, it's 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 sometimes I question you, should it be put market first, then product? And this is age-old chicken and egg. Do you have the product like we had a Sony Walkman and then find the market for it? Or do you find the market and then create the product for it? 
my view is get the product strategy right and then find the market. But either way, you need to know that what you just said there is the benefits to their business and actually making sure you're targeting your product at them at the right time so they know that you're the person you, they need to come to to buy that service or product. Absolutely. And it, and it has to be legitimate. It has to be something they actually want. My lovely mother tells me I could sell fridges to Eskimos. No, I couldn't because they don't really need fridges and I wouldn't. It's not, it doesn't meet my moral and ethical standards to sell something to somebody they don't need or want. But if I have a solution for somebody and they have the problem, I hate it. All the cold calls I get where people broadly say, boy, have I got a solution for you? And I say, really, what's my problem? Because they haven't asked that question yet. Yeah? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you have a solution, there has to be a problem. But in terms of that pyramid, absolutely, I agree with you. When when I say marketing, 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 that's not where you start. That's That's the end of that part of the journey. And marketing, I view very much as sowing seeds and sales is harvesting those, those when those seeds are grown but before you can market what your product or service is you have to have a really quite clear understanding of what your product or service is and you have to have it priced appropriately you have to have in your head and ideally on a piece of paper your avatars your definition of your perfect customer because you can't market to your perfect customer unless you know who they are and where they go. If you're selling a product to 15 year olds, then TikTok may well be your best route to market. And you know what, Phil, for you and me, it's a waste of space. I don't have a TikTok account because that's not where my customers are, you know? Yeah. You could waste a lot of time doing TikTok and not target the right market in the first place. For sure. And it's also, as you quite rightly say, it's about the people, the personnel, the infrastructure. I have a very long memory sometimes. I can't remember what I did this morning, but I can remember 20 years ago that there must be a name for that condition. And... I can remember when Hewlett Packard stopped selling consumables, ink cartridges and stuff, which was my market. They stopped selling those things direct to consumers and said, no, 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 you have to go through distributors and dealers and shops and whatever else. And a guy set up a business and pitched to Hewlett Packard so that when you phoned Hewlett Packard and said, can I buy an ink cartridge? They said, no, talk to this guy. Here's the number. And on day one of the business, on when when the switch happened, he had 50 people in a big office. He had infrastructure, he had computer systems, he had all that stuff. Exactly what you just said is the bottom rung of that pyramid and the one above. He had the physical infrastructure, he had the management teams, he had the processes, he had all that stuff. And the phone didn't ring for about two hours. And then the phone started ringing. And within about two months, their revenue, their annualized revenue was in the low millions. And good luck to the guy. And that's the key, isn't it? You know, we, we, we always have those, those dreams of finding a business where the, the, the customer rings, the phone rings off the hook, and all we've got to do is service the customer and deliver to the need. And I think um, that's, that's the ultimate business model if you can find it. For sure. But you say there, and I know you were just saying it, all you've got to do is service it. Can you imagine if he'd set that up and said, I wonder whether or not I will get calls. And he had him and his, his wife sitting there waiting for the one phone that they share to, to ring. 
Well, they wouldn't have been turning over millions, would they? Because they just wouldn't have had any infrastructure to do that. So, you know, they grew the business from naught to huge overnight, and that's incredibly rare. And the majority of people start small, and there were different definitions of the word small. To some people, small is 100 people. To, to others, it's just me. And then grow it and grow it on the assumption, of course, that that's what you want to do. And if you want to do that, then there are there is best practice. There are clear, sensible, commonplace, tried and trusted ways of, of making that happen. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, because we'll come back to this in a minute, but I, um, I have a phrase which is income follows asset. If you build the asset, the income will flow. And to build the asset, you've got to invest now. I could build a house or I could design a house and give you the market, the plans for it, sell you the land and just sell you the plan. The asset there is, is created. It's worth one piece. But if I then build the house, it then becomes an asset, which I could choose to rent out. So the income would come from that. And I think in a business, a lot of business owners forget, I find, that they need to build their asset first and the income will flow from the asset when they get it right. And, and especially with capacity planning, you know, the, the typical one-man business, I believe, has a threshold level they can earn, whatever earnings mean. And they have to then make a decision as, do you want to grow beyond that, which might mean investing in something else, an asset, which might be people, systems, process, or new products. But either way, you've got to invest in day one to make that product come alive. Absolutely if that's the route you want to go. Yeah, and, yeah. and there are plenty. I can remember one former client of mine who was selling his time. So exactly what you were saying, there's a limit to the, the revenue available, unless you're, you know, superstar status. And he was, his gross, his revenue, gross profit and net profit were almost identical because there were minimal overheads, bit of marketing cost, that was it. And he was, he was bringing in sort of 40k a year at that time, which, you know, was, was fine. And I didn't make the mistake of asking how he wanted to grow it. I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to keep earning 40k a year as a net but i want to do it in three days a week instead of five and i want to spend one day a week on the golf course and one day a week pro bono for a charity and i thought you know what you're my kind of guy i want to work with you and so he had an objective but i also do work with people as do you and that's really what we're talking about who are a one-man business and want to be three or five or ten or they're a 10 or 20 man person business and they want to be 50 or 100. And really, it's not about the number of people. It's about the, the machine and the enterprise that you're building. And if you're at the top of that, the more it builds underneath, the higher up you are sitting on your throne on the top of the mountain. Yeah. And actually, that's the key, isn't it? It comes down to that choice around what you want to build. Because a lot of people are quite happy running their one-man business or their four-man business. But some people have an aspiration to build something bigger. Uh, and I, I jokingly say to business owners, actually, you don't make money on your first product. You make money on your second or third product or your second or third business once you've innovated your business model and come up with something different. And it's been really clear about that. And, and I wonder, so, so talking with the, the type of people you talk with through Enterprise Doctor, uh, you're talking with these, these smaller businesses uh, where, where they know there's room for improvement, but they need some help doing it and identifying the way to make that business move forwards. What's the thing that stops people 
in your view as business owners, stepping up to recruit other people? Have you seen anything common in these type of people? Yeah, the, there are, I would say, am I allowed to give two answers? Of course you are. Okay, thank you. You're such a generous host. <laughs> I think the first answer is fear. Yeah. They've not, they might have never managed people. They certainly haven't in their business. If they're currently a one person business and going to build it, then it's, so it's all new. And if you have an employee, well, what's this thing about pensions? How does that work? Do I have to, what's the story? And somebody said, I have to have a, 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 an anti-racism policy written down. So I do all that whole HR piece, there's payroll, there's real-time reporting on your accounting for your payroll. There's just a whole bunch of stuff. And what happens if as happened with me when I ran an office stationery company and I hired a new person, nice young lady to work in the warehouse and found out she was nicking stuff. How do you deal with that? And what happens when you need to make somebody redundant? And what happens when one of your three people has to, for very valid reasons, pregnancy or health or whatever else, has to take three months off work, six months off work. That's, you know, if you've got a hundred people, that person's 1% of your task workforce. If you've got three people, it's a third of your workforce. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you've got them because you need, so, and and it's how, how will I deal with each or any or all of those things if I grow it? And it's much safer and easier to keep it tiny. Yeah. And you said there are going to be two things. I, I think that's the key one, this fear. And I think, uh, there's a fear. I've often seen business owners where they, they've made the decision in year, in a year, we'll say year one, in a year to grow the business by recruiting people. They bring people in, but they get to the end of that year and realize they themselves are not taking home the money they used to take home. Correct. And business has become harder because they've now got two more mouths to feed or three more mouths to feed. So they suddenly they make a decision to go back to doing it as a one man band. Uh, and they go back to that and then they jump back into that same pot of what they used to have again. And it's, it's almost they haven't made this choice to go to the next stage. Yeah. And, and the second thing that I was going to say is money. Yeah. Is if you are going to have another person, they are going to cost you money. In an ideal world, they will also generate money. It could be that they generate money directly because they are a salesperson and to pluck numbers out the air because I can divide by 12 very easily. If they're on 12 grand a year as a basic salary and another 12 grand a year for an on target performance, well, in month one, what are they going to cost you? They're going to cost you a thousand pounds because they've got no sales in month one. They've got no customers, got no nothing. So let's say there's no thousand pounds out of pocket plus of course employers national insurance oh and that desk you had to buy and all the other stuff in month two they're going to cost you another thousand pounds and they might bring in a thousand pound of revenue which is 700 pounds of profit which is so what i always talk to i've had many a client of mine who said i want to take on a salesperson and, and i say brilliant and it is brilliant if, if they want to grow the business they've got to take people on so talking firstly about salespeople, get a get a bit of paper or even go mad and start an excel spreadsheet what will they cost you what is the basic you will have to pay what is the commission structure because you're going to have to if you're going to offer someone a job they're going to say what's the pay you know you're going to have to 
have the answer to these questions ready for them. So map it out. What might they bring in in terms of profit? Because as you know, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity and cash is king. Um, if they're, if they're going to bring in nothing in month one because it's a three-month sales cycle so or a sales process. So month one, month two, and month three, there's zero revenue. So you're three grand down on the deal for starters plus extras. In month four, you're another grand down for the basic but let's say they bring in 500 quid of profit in month five. So map it out. So for year one, you, you know, and just do the maths, do the maths is what I say to people. And the interesting thing is, so I, so I do a lot of work with businesses where they've made that choice to go to the next stage. So, so I'm, you know, the, the typical companies I work with have got 20 people plus in the business already. So, so I would say typical business should be doing about 100,000 per head. So a 20 person business should be looking at two mil as a business. Uh, and if they're not there, then they're not maximizing the asset, the 20 people they've got. So I have to look at how do I fill the cup physically? You know, if they've got a cup, cup of, of capacity, if their water level is only at 40%, I need to get them up to 80% or some other point of that. And the point, point that I come to people is, who's the first person you're going to recruit? So on day one, it's just you, Mark Harris, you're running your business. Day two, whenever day two is, who do you want to recruit and how many do you want to recruit? Because my view is you need three more people, not just one more person. That's the theory. And I model that. I wonder what you, what's your thoughts on, you know, we talk about salesperson. Who would you bring in as the next person? Okay. Well, I suppose the other side of the, the one side is salesperson because they directly bring in revenue. And the other side of it is either marketing or finance because those are the three strands of any business. And you've got logistics as well and various other things. If you if you need somebody as a warehouse person to pick and pack and ship, they're not going to generate any revenue. They're just a cost. So again, do the maths. If it's a marketing person, hmm, they're not going to directly generate, they're going to get an order, but hopefully the marketing work that they do is going to lead to increased revenue. So you can sort of do the maths. So for me, again, it always comes down to the maths. So who would I hire first? I'll tell you who I would hire first. And the answer is it depends on you. It depends on the managing director because there are things that you as MD are good at and you know what even if he find it hard to admit it there are things that you as MD are not good at you know and if, if you can find me anyone who says they're good at everything I'm gonna point you at a fool it's it, nobody's good at everything I have a list of things that I'm not good at and my lovely wife was nice enough to add a few things on the bottom of the list we don't talk about that and so there are things that you are good at. There are also things that you enjoy. And if you enjoy something, but you're bad at it, there's an argument that says, get someone, pay someone else to do <laughs> a good job instead of you doing a bad job. But if you are, if there are things that you enjoy and you're good at, keep doing those. So I'm not going to say hire a marketing person because you might love all the social media stuff and marketing strategy and all that side of it. What I suggest people do when they're hiring their first one is think about what you're not good at. Think about what you don't enjoy and get someone else to do those things because the joy of being the boss is you get to make those choices i if if i hate balancing the books at the end of the month and doing the bank rec and all of that stuff so get someone else to do it why pay somebody else to do what i love and leave me doing the bit that i hate and that i'm not good at 
that makes no sense at all. But I'll tell you the other thing that I would say to people as well who said, I'm I'm ready to hire my first person. Can you help me work through who I should hire? What, what job title, what job functions? Why are you hiring? Why are you not subcontracting? Yeah, so I want to come back to that in a second. Are you okay. a really good point there. Uh, and, and let me just, just before you go into that outsourcing subcontracting piece, uh, come back to this thing about enjoying versus good at. Michael E. Gerber, when he wrote his book, The E-Myth Revisited, which was the first book my accountant gave me in 2004 when I set up my business, he said, before you do it, read this. And if you haven't read it, I recommend everyone goes and read it because in there he talks about people who love doing what they do and then feel trapped a few years later in because they find themselves hating it because they have to do it all the time. Yeah. And I jokingly say to business, business owners, people set up their business for one of two reasons. They're either really good at selling something or they're really good at what I call making something, making, doing, servicing. Yeah. And those who are good at selling should find someone to make. Those who are good at making need to find a way to sell. Because once you can sell it and make it, you then got to deliver it to the customer. And then you've got to, the good ones then service the customers to make sure they come back for more. And that generates what I call short-term revenue. Sell it, make it, deliver it, service it. Absolutely. We, we say the same things in different ways sometimes. I, I, I ask my clients, what, what, is you, what is your job? And the answer from one was, I'm, I'm a solicitor. And I said, no, you're not. You're a salesman. Yeah. Because if you're not a salesman, you don't get the opportunity to be a solicitor. You have to be a salesman first. And before you can be a salesman, you have to be a marketing person. And before you can be a marketing person, you have to be an MD and set your business up and structure it and organize it and think about it and plan it and finance it and all that stuff. So you, you, first of all, you're an organizer and then you're a marketing person and then you're a salesperson. And then if the salesperson's good, you get to be a solicitor yeah, you get to do and you can cross out solicitor and write in hairdresser or microbrewer or sculptor or whatever it is. You've got to have that happening. And if you're a one person business, you've got to do that. And if you either subcontract or hire people to do other things, then that's the point is to free you up to do the bit that you're good at and the bit that you enjoy. Yeah, and I think this is it. It's the good at and enjoyment. And I think what one of the things I've seen is a lot of business owners get trapped in the mindset of nobody does it as well as I do. Uh, yeah. You see this all the time. What's your thoughts on that? Because obviously that's one of the biggest things that stops business owners growing and is the biggest cause of frustration and stress long-term and business failure. My view on that is to look him in the eye and say, really? Yeah. Really? Nobody does it as well as you do. You might be a great solicitor, and maybe nobody does that as well as you do, but that doesn't make you a great marketeer. It doesn't make you a great salesperson. It doesn't mean that when you look at your P and L, you have any idea what the letter P is for or the letter L. You know, they're they're different skill sets, and nobody's good at everything. So let go. You know, let go. And I think one of the first things that many people delegate and outsource is to some kind of personal assistant or virtual assistant and if you and you and I between us set up this call so that we could have this conversation we could have both used a PA or a VA do we really think they wouldn't have done it as well as us do we think they can't look in our diaries and say how about Tuesday really can't they cope with that I can remember I used to run a, an office stationery company that I, I built through the 90s and then successfully sold in 2002 which was 
very nice thing to do. And there was a point at which I took on an admin person and part of her job was to do the month end procedures, which I'd always done. And at the end of the first month that she was there, I did it. She watched the end of the second month, she did it and I watched and the end of the third month, I had to not leave the office. I had to leave the town. (laughs) It was the only way I could let go and let her just do it. And I had my mobile phone and she could call me if she needed me. And you know what? She didn't. Because she got on with it. And, and this is, I think, a big point, isn't it? This is this transition point for business owners when they transition, I use the word, from business owner to business leader, when they're starting to make that decision as who could do the job better than me? Because often it's the business owner who is the, that they've got their foot on their brake on their business unconsciously because they're not willing to delegate. They're not willing to let go. And actually, you're right, a PA is probably the first person a small business brings in or an accountant or bookkeeper or both. But either way, it's having that team. And the team doesn't have to be all sitting in a physical office with you. No. We spent the last five months through lockdown. We don't have to see each other. But actually, businesses can be operate virtually and have all these little people who are experts in their field doing what they need to do, yeah. leaving the business owner free to get on with the things they enjoy and are good at. Absolutely. And and as I said before, do the math. If, or the, sorry, I spoke in American then. Do American, the math. Yeah, huh, do the maths. It's definitely an S on the end. Do the maths. If, and I'm going to pick numbers out of the air, if a PA is £25 an hour, and if I am £100 an hour, if I pay a PA to do an hour's work, I give them 25 I earn 100 by my maths, that puts me 75 quid up on the deal. Except, you know what? The admin that it takes me an hour to do she probably does in 45 minutes because she's good at it. It's routine. She's got better software, better tools, better processes than I have. So it won't even cost me the 25. So I'll make even more. And if I'm not drowning in customers, so I'm not actually going to earn a hundred pounds. Well, me, I'm not going to earn anything in that hour. Well, maybe I should be getting her to do the admin and paying her the 25 quid. And with that hour, I do some marketing so that I do get some more customers. It's a mindset shift though, isn't it? Because a lot of businesses forget to think like that they they i I see there's a lot of people who are employed they don't have that mentality to say who can i get in to do this piece of work they do it themselves yeah and and you and i think like that that actually if we can find someone else and pay them 25 pounds and we can earn 100 therefore the 75 pound surplus we can choose something else to do with which is what we do with our time so i come back to my my pint glass analogy and holding that up now if my pint glass is full of full of 40 hours and therefore i want to be able to do 80 percent of that a week if my pint glass could be full of revenue generating activities for 35 of those hours, guess what I need to be doing? Revenue generating. But if I'm taking it up with admin and other stuff that takes me time, I'm not earning the money in my business. Absolutely. But you know, sometimes people do need somebody outside the equation to tell them what to do or to tell them what they that advisor thinks they should do i have a client a couple who run a pub and they'll remain nameless for obvious reasons and well no they have names but i'm not going to share them and they said the husband does all the books he does the admin he does the finance and there's a lot of messing around lots of bits and pieces that get bought and sold and there's a whole bunch of staff some full-time some part-time there's all sorts of different stuff and he hates it he hates it. It drives him crazy. He's not 100% au fait with the software they use. It, it takes hours of his time when he'd rather be in the kitchen. And I said, they said, so, you know, how do we deal with that? And I said, stop doing it. 
you know it's not it's not hard there's a zillion accountants and bookkeepers and finance assistants and admin people who would love to do that for you and they'll zip through it at twice the speed they'll make a third of the number of mistakes that you make and then you can do the bit that you love which is standing around in the kitchen with a chef discussing the new menu so just do it but you need sometimes you need somebody else to say it almost to give permission it's okay. You can do that. You can justify spending that £25 an hour. Even if it's somebody who's £100 an hour, do the maths. If the benefit to the business is greater than that in the long run, then go for it. Outsource it. Hire somebody. If there's enough work for somebody to do it full-time, hire somebody to do it full-time. And this is is the fundamental shift businesses only need to make because you and I can have that conversation because we've seen it. You've seen it in your office stationery company. You couldn't run that on your own. You have to have people doing it. When you were talking about the story with HP, actually, you need somebody who can do the revenue generation while the business is running, get the management doing, get the accounts happening, and, and somebody else to be sitting in those seats doing it and answering the phones. And I don't expect the owner of the company to do all that because there's not enough because you haven't got the capacity. And the, the, the fundamental role of a coach or a mentor or the enterprise doctor is actually around helping businesses make those decisions and, and in some ways opening business owners' eyes up to that. And I'd love to, I'd love to come back to talk about that. Now, we've all we've got time for for this episode. So I think it's, it's key that we have this next conversation. So I'm going to invite you back to have another conversation to talk about how do we get people to make that decision and fundamentally shift their business because that's the key to growth in my view. Absolutely. Very happy to make that happen. Thank you, Mark. We shall look forward to the next conversation soon. So that concludes this episode of Sparks. Thanks for listening. We're always looking for ideas on how to drive this podcast forward. So if you've got comments, please leave them via a review of our show, along with your rating. Or send us an email to sparks at eviumconsult.com. 